Come Holy Spirit, use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. It's such a joy for my wife Meg and me to be back with you all. Like all of you, we have really missed being able to worship in person with other believers. But I thank God for the technology that has kept us connected. And I praise God for you, David, for you and your team have enabled Christ the King's online worship and Bible study and seminars and concerts and more. You're, you've been doing a wonderful job in leading this church in a tremendously challenging season. And Peter's ordination yesterday was a great blessing. Peter, I'm so thankful to God for you and for your obedience to God's call. And I'm excited about all that the Lord has for you in this new season of ministry. Well, you all are in a series of sermons about lessons from the wilderness. In Scripture, we see from the experience of God's people that the wilderness is often a time of scarcity, a time of need, a time of lacking even essentials, a time of dependence. But it also means that that's a time of an opportunity to learn certain lessons. Lessons, in fact, that can only be learned in the wilderness of adversity. It's a critical time when our need can lead us to greater dependence on God. It can lead us to greater faith, greater maturity. Or it can lead us to bitterness, to ingratitude, to selfishness, to anger. Christ the King has certainly been in a wilderness time. First, for months, as you've been unable to worship in this building. And then for more months, as you've been unable to gather due to COVID-19. It's been a wilderness time for our nation. As we've experienced not only the coronavirus itself, but also the severe economic downturn. And now great turmoil over the issues of race. And I know it's been a wilderness time for many of us personally, as we've experienced all of this instability, all of these uncertainties, and we've been uh, required to do so isolated from the tangible support of family and friends and colleagues. Truly, this is a wilderness time, and our reading from the book of Exodus has an important lesson for us as, how we, as we read about how God provided water from the rock. Now I want to share with you a story of my experience of God's faithfulness in the wilderness. Years ago when I was serving as rector of All Saints Church in Dale City, in our early years as a mission church, we experienced a financial shortfall late in the year. Back in those days, at least a quarter of our congregation usually left us each year as they were transferred out by the military or the government. Well, one year, an unusually large number of families transferred out over the summer. And while congregational giving normally dipped in the summer, 
that year it didn't rebound in September. We were watching it, and when it didn't rebound as much as normal in October, we realized we had a problem. But of course, we're reading the October Treasurer's Report in November. <laughs> and of course, by November, the budget has largely been spent. There's not much left to cut. And so the only real solution was on the income side. Well, the vestry prayed and prayed fervently and decided that we needed to call a special congregational meeting the following Sunday to inform the church not to twist arms, not to put pressure on anyone, not to make anyone feel guilty, but just to let the family know the facts and ask them to pray. Just the way if a family had a, one parent lost a job and the family wasn't gonna be able to go on vacation, you have a family meeting with the kids and you let them know the reality, it doesn't mean you expect them to sell themselves into slavery to pay for it, it just means they need to understand what's going on. So we just let people know and we ask them to pray. We held the meeting. People received the hard news. They appreciated being informed. One woman whose husband never went to church and so was always unable to support the church financially in the way she would have liked, um, wrote me a letter the following week. And she said she'd been to many church meetings over in various churches like that over the years. But she said this was the first time she'd come away from such a meeting not feeling guilty. And so we were really thankful for that. Well, people did pray. And by God's grace, we ended the year in the black. Well, fast forward a number of years. It happened again. Despite very conservative budgeting, the transfers out of a large number of highly committed leaders in the church in the same year resulted in another budget shortfall late in the year. We had a vestry meeting and those who've been around when it happened in the past said, well, we know how to handle this. We should have a special congregational meeting to inform the church, Be careful not to arm twist or lay a guilt trip on people and so forth. And that's what the vestry decided to do. Now, in that season, I was spending all of my mornings in prayer in the church sanctuary. And so the next morning I was praying in the church and as I was praying, I heard the words, Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. Now, I knew that was Psalm 95. And I knew enough to know that I should look up the passage, even though I knew that verse, because I knew sometimes the Lord will use that to get me to a passage knowing there are other things he wants to show me in that section of, of Scripture. And indeed, Psalm 95 goes on to say, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. Well, I knew that was a reference to what happened to the people of Israel when they were in, in the desert after the exodus from Egypt. And so I looked it up, and it's the passage we heard this morning from Exodus chapter 17. It takes place at the very start of their experience in the wilderness. God told Moses to strike the rock with his staff. He did, and the needed water came out. But then I remembered that the same thing happened again for the people of Israel another time years later. And so I looked that up as well. It's in Numbers chapter 20. 
and it happened 40 years later at the very end of their time in the wilderness. The people of Israel are again without water, but this time God didn't tell Moses, strike the rock. He said to Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses disobeyed. He didn't speak to the rock. He struck it, not once, but twice. Water came out, but Moses had disobeyed. He had dishonored the Lord. Striking the rock in obedience to God obviously had required faith. No one thinks you get water out of a rock by hitting it with a stick. But since it had worked, it would seem to require greater faith to believe that you didn't even need to hit the rock to get the water. All you needed to do was speak to the rock. But Moses relied on what he had done in the past. He wanted to do a second time what he was confident would work again. And so he struck the rock in disobedience to the Lord's direction. And this was a grievous act of disobedience. And it was because Moses didn't trust the Lord that the Lord told him he would not be allowed to enter the promised land. Well, as I read that that morning in the church, as I was praying about our financial situation and realizing we had decided to, to call another meeting of our congregation, I realized that we were about to do exactly what Moses had done. We were about to strike the rock the second time. The first time we had prayed and sought the Lord and did what he said. The second time, frankly, we felt we knew how to handle the situation. And so we just decided to do the same thing again. And so I got up from prayer and went and called the senior warden and told him what the Lord was showing me. He gulped. I think he was afraid of the lightning strike coming through the phone line as he realized what we were about to do, the mistake we were making. And so we quickly took the notice out of the church newsletter about a com the congregational meeting for the coming Sunday and instead called another vestry meeting. We prayed and we felt that from Moses' experience, the lesson we were to learn was in this case not to tell anyone in the congregation about the financial need, but to just pray. We should just speak to the rock, if you will. Speak only to God. Well, the vestry spoke to no one but God. They prayed and they fasted, and we ended the year in the black. Friends, there are certain lessons that we can only learn in the wilderness of adversity. Now let's circle back to Exodus chapter 17, our reading for this morning, and look at it a bit more closely. Verse 1 says that the people of Israel moved about and camped from place to place exactly as God commanded. So that we know it was God himself who directed the Israelites to go to Rephidim and camp. And yet this was a place where there was no source of water. Why would God direct them to camp where there was no water? Answer, to test them. Not to test them like a teacher in school tests to see if they measured up, but to test them in the sense of testing metal, to put it in the fire, to strengthen it, and to purify it. Is God using our own wilderness season to strengthen us, to purify us, to make us better disciples? 
I think he is. God had miraculously provided manna and quail for them to eat in chapter 16. He had met their need in abundance. But that was then, and this was now. And the people seemed to have completely forgotten how faithful God was and how he had provided for them in their need. The people react by criticizing the leader. They've only just left Egypt, and already this is about the fourth time they've grumbled against God and God's appointed leader. They are railing against Moses and demanding that he give them water to drink. And so Moses turns to God and cries out in frustration, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're in effect putting Moses on trial and charging him with a capital offense. He's abusing his position as leader. And Moses can see what the people's verdict is going to be, the death penalty for him. And under this pressure, Moses seems to be catching the same complaining spirit that the people have. You can almost hear him saying, look, God, I didn't ask for this job. You called me. You sent me into all of this. Now, the people are really rebelling more against God than against Moses, but it's sometimes tough for a leader to remember that. But in spite of their rejection, God in his mercy comes to them and meets their need. We read in verse 5, The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Put your, put it, take in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Note that God is saying he himself would be there with Moses. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it that the people may drink. Psalm 78 says Moses struck the rock and the water gushed out. No mere trickle. God provided in abundance. Moses named the place where this took place place Massa, meaning, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling. You might think he was memorializing their disobedience and lack of faith, but he was really memorializing God's faithfulness and God's provision in spite of how they didn't deserve it. You see, it's all about grace. It's all about God's unmerited favor, the favor that he has shown us in what Jesus has done for us. Holding on to what Jesus has done for us is vitally important if you're in the wilderness. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says that supernatural peace can be ours, even in the midst of the wilderness. And he says that that peace is released in us through thankful prayer. And I think Paul means that literally. I think Paul is saying that whenever we pray, when we come to God to ask him for something, we should begin our prayers with thanksgiving. Because giving thanks for what God has done in the past builds faith that he will answer our prayers again now. Giving thanks for how God has provided for me financially again and again 
will build my faith that he'll meet my needs in this circumstance. And so instead of fretting and focusing on what I don't have, I can praise God and walk in thankfulness for what I do have, and I can know his peace. You see, the great danger for us is what we see in the people of God over and over again in the Bible. It's the attitude of, God, what have you done for me lately? God is always faithful, but he is always inviting us to trust him more, depend upon him more fully. God uses adversity to send us back to him so that we'll know him more and love him more, so that we'll pray for his provision, his direction, and so that we'll trust him enough to obey him promptly. My friend Steve Wood is Bishop of the Diocese of the Carolinas in the Anglican Church in North America. We've been together in a small group of prayer partners for several years, and I've come to know and love him as a dear brother in Christ. Steve is also the rector of St. Andrew's Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, one of the largest churches in our denomination. Two years ago, the church burned down. In rebuilding it, there have been two more fires, and they've been hit by two hurricanes. And then in March, Steve was diagnosed with COVID-19, and the disease nearly took his life. Just before he was placed on a ventilator, a friend texted him these words of encouragement. It read, as you go into the hours ahead, when you will perhaps have to give up conscious control of all things, place yourself in his own hands once again. Yield to him afresh, and he will not let you go. Through his experience, Steve constantly drew on the words of scripture and the words of hymns that were hidden away in his heart. He's now home again, and to talk with him is to be blessed. He says that he'd always been the caregiver, but now he has a new understanding of pastoral ministry. He speaks of God's severe mercy and how the Lord delights to fulfill Isaiah 61 by bringing beauty out of ashes. What a beautiful witness to God's grace in the face of suffering. The hardships we experience in the wilderness can sometimes cause us to get stuck in frustration, anger, resentment, despair, hostility, even vengeance. But those same hardships can also turn us back to the Lord, and they can drive us to a deeper dependence on Him. In your wilderness journey, where is God asking you to trust Him more right now? Is it for our broken and divided nation, praying that our sovereign God will bring a new awakening of repentance and faith, is it around the coronavirus, trusting that God will care for you and your family? Is it in your personal finances? Is he asking you to give generously, believing that he will provide for you? Is it in your work? Is he wanting to use you as his witness, his minister, in the midst of a difficult environment? 
Is it in your relationships? Is he calling you to repent of bitterness and allow him to heal your heart? Because God is always inviting us to trust him more. Trusting always feels a little scary. It was John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Church movement, who said faith is spelled R-I-S-K. God is beckoning us to turn back to him, to seek his face, to pour out our hearts to him in prayer, to listen for his voice, and to trust him, to trust him enough to risk following him no matter what. God is ever faithful. And as we journey through the wilderness, let's trust him more. Amen. And would you please stand now for the final blessing. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.